He causes us to wait, and much of the issue of waiting determines much of the produce of your life, how you actually deal with waiting. And so uh, I'll take us through a little bit of a, um, just a refresher from last week, and then uh, we're going to take a look at two chapters primarily, and because there, there, there's two chapters, Psalm 130 and Psalm 131, that those together, they actually give us the proper posture for waiting on the Lord. It actually, those two chapters together really unpack quite a bit on this issue of waiting on the Lord. But uh, this verse in Psalm 27, verse 14, this charge, I just wanted to charge us again at the onset this message. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And that is such, that is so much of the, of the way the Lord instructs and leads His people throughout the entire Scripture. The instruction tends to be, wait on the Lord. And last week we talked about the difference between the arm of the flesh and the arm of the Lord and how so many people, they, they live by the arm of the flesh, even believers. See, they're used to living by the arm of the flesh when they're not serving the Lord, and then they get saved. And that does not automatically mean, just because you got saved, that now you're always living by the, the Spirit or by the arm of the Lord. And so you, you have to go through this transition uh, in living by the arm of the flesh to living by the arm of the Lord. But many believers, they never go through that transition, and they stay living by the arm of the flesh. And, and what that equals is this. They find themselves trying to pr- uh, produce for themselves and trying to have... The, the outcome of their life based on their own abilities, their own gifts, their own mindset, their own thoughts. And, and what that ends up doing is it produces things that don't have life in them. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life. And much of the way that we are called to live our lives, uh, and not, let me just say it even better than that. The entire way that we're called to live our lives as Christians is in responding to the Lord's leadership, not in just picking a direction and getting it done by the arm of the flesh. And so we're called to wait, listen, obey, wait, listen, obey. And I said at the end of the message last week, there's always one more step in there. Wait, listen, obey. Delay. Hallelujah. Wait, listen, obey, delay. Wait, listen, obey, delay. Wait, listen, obey, delay. That's mostly how it goes. And then there'll be the day where the Lord releases the blessing. But it's not mostly wait, listen, obey, blessing. It's mostly wait, listen, obey, delay. And that tends to be the normative way that God processes our hearts. Okay? That's how God normally works in processing human hearts. Waiting, listening, obeying, to, obeying the Lord to, to what you heard, and then delaying. Even though you obeyed. And that's where I think a lot of Christians fall off. That's, that's where they get off the, 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 uh, the train, so to speak, with the Lord. They, they go, wait a minute. I waited on the Lord. I heard the Lord. I obeyed. And he didn't answer And I would just say, well, he didn't answer, let's add a phrase to that, in your timing. Because his timing and our timing are completely different, isn't that right? 
And so, wait, listen, obey, delay is the main way God leads us. So I gave a couple of definitions last week, and I think it's good for us just to get those back in our minds. And they'll come up on your screen. I hope I gave them to our notes. I did. So waiting on the Lord, I just give a couple easy definitions. It's quieting yourself in stillness with hopeful expectation of the Lord's leadership and action in your life. Quieting yourself in stillness and then hopeful expectation. That's critical. With hopeful expectation, the Lord's leadership and action in your life. Waiting is not putting off your faith. Sometimes people think, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord. I don't know if it will ever happen. No, no, no. That's not it at all. If you're waiting on the Lord, you're expecting it to happen. You're just allowing the Lord the the leeway to do it in His timing rather than you putting upon the Lord the timing in which it has to happen. And So, so many, they, they begin to wait. But when it doesn't happen... They, they actually extract their faith from the equation. They just go, well, I don't know. I'm just waiting. I just, you know, and they get hopeless in that place of waiting. And that's not the point. That's not where it's supposed to go. You're not supposed to go into waiting and then end up hopeless. You're supposed to go into waiting on the Lord for His activity and leadership. And, and no matter the time frame, you have hopeful expectation of what you're waiting for of God to accomplish, accomplish it. That's waiting on the Lord. The hopeful expectation is critical. And I'll talk a little bit later about how to kind of work with that. Because uh, when you've been waiting a long time, it's hard to maintain hope. Isn't that right? <laughs> it, can be, it can be a little difficult. <laughs> you've been waiting a long time. You find yourself, you know, you don't know what to pray. You're just saying the same prayers. Praying in tongues a lot. Come on, Lord, anytime. Do you know the address? Here it is. I'm here. Did you hear me? You know, is there, you know, is the frequency on? You know, you start wondering because you're waiting a, a while. You go, why? Why is this happening? Why is this taking so long? And uh, it's it's difficult. It can be challenging to stay in hope. Well, waiting and hope work together. We'll talk about that in a minute. So uh, another little just giving definition to waiting on the Lord. It's not being idle. It's not being idle. It's ceasing from your own works and ways to allow the Lord to accomplish His ways and desires in and through your life. Ceasing from your own works and ways to allow the Lord to accomplish His ways and His desires through your life. And that, beloved, that is critical because we have so many little ways that we get things done. And we love... uh, we wouldn't call it this, but we love to manipulate situations. You know, I, I, I just, I won't say who this is, but there's, we have a, a staff member here. And, uh, you know, you've almost got to pull teeth to find out what their needs are. And I don't think it's good to be this way all the time. If you've got needs, I think you need to share them. But this one particular staff member, he'll just not tell anybody his need because he's always waiting on the Lord to answer and so, uh, you know, then the, the answer will come and he'll go, oh man, it's so good. Thank God he did this, da, 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 da. And I'm like, dude, you didn't tell anybody about that? No. He's like, no. I'm like, that's serious. Why didn't you tell anybody? Well, I just was waiting on the Lord and I didn't want to manipulate the situation. 
But you know, me, I mean, I, I can think of many times where I'm like, Lord, I've got this need. And so then I pray and ask the Lord to meet the need. And then in the very next setting I'm at where there's people potentially in that setting that could meet the need. <laughs> I just go, Lord, you know, I, I just go, you know, I just got to share it on my heart. I'm just believing the Lord to meet this need. I just know he's going to do it. I just know. The Lord's going to meet my need. I'm just believing him. And I'm dropping the hint. Anybody ever? Just me? Okay. <clears throat> but, you know, that, that's normal Christianity. Our version, I mean. Not normal like biblical, but that's what we do. We tend to short circuit the process of waiting by going ahead and using our little maneuvers in the flesh to get our need met. But most people don't. They won't wait through the painstaking process of just trusting the Lord and allowing Him to answer in His timing. And that, beloved, is the proving ground. That's really the proving ground of your faith. Waiting and allowing the crucible of delay to purify you. It's, it's intentional by the Lord. He doesn't answer us in microwave fashion all the time because he's fashioning our hearts. It's, it's important for us to have delay so that we can experience what it means to believe God and maintain faith and have hopeful expectation over time that's proven that fiery trial that proves the faith, that refines the faith like pure gold, that's critically important for you. If you don't have that, you become, dare I say it, a bratty Christian. Right? I want it, I want it now. And then if God you know, causes a delay, you go in the flesh and start trying to make it happen all your own way. And I, I've just seen this, you know, 20 plus years now of ministry of how few Christians are willing to wait to allow the Lord to establish his works and his ways in their life. And what I watch in the scripture, what I read is that the process in the Bible is so different than our human processes. They pray, they listen, they obey. They have to wait through it all. And then the Lord answers in the perfect timing. It's never late, but he ain't ever early, is he? That's the, between that ain't ever early and never late, man, that's the burner, isn't it? That's the burner. So, here's the thing. Uh, I said this last week. Without the necessity of waiting, the produce of your life is much more man-made than it is God-made. God is not after a self-made bride. He is after a bride that has been fashioned through the fires of testing and, and the crucible of waiting, that has a pure faith that's been refined, that's a comparable bride to his son. The problem is so many Christians are used to this immediacy, getting, their, getting all their preferences and all their wants and desires instantly met. They're like little babies. Here's the deal. Jesus isn't going to marry an infant. 
<laughs> I'm speaking to me too. He's, he's marrying a bride, a mature bride, not a baby. Now look, we, we have got to have grace for one another, for ourselves, and, and deal tenderly with ourselves in our immaturity. But it's, you know, there's multiple admonitions in the scripture that we're not to continue in immaturity, that we're to grow up. Not always just in the milk of the word, but actually going into the meat of the word. We're actually living this thing. You know, the the milk of the word is just receiving, 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 receiving. The meat of the word is actually, it becomes real in you and you're actually doing the word. You see the difference? So, the Lord wants to grow us up. He wants us to become mature. He wants the produce of our life to be God-made and not man-made. And what I mean by that is this. When you're operating in the arm of the flesh, you'll make it happen all yourself. And you'll have all this stuff to show for it. But when that thing is tested by the fire on the day of judgment, when the great review comes before the throne of God, and holiness is all around, and eyes of fire peer down on the, out, out, the, the produce of your life, the outgrowth of your life, If it's man-made, that thing will be like wood, hay, and stubble before the fire that tries it. It will turn into ash in an instant. And we're going to find, we're going to find multiple people who stand before the Lord. They'll be born-again believers having faith in Jesus' blood and his crucifixion and resurrection. But the produce of their life will be from the arm of the flesh. And when the fire of God's refinement hits that thing, it will be reduced to ash in an instant. And the entirety entirety of their life, the entire uh, outgrowth of their life, the produce of their life will be ash. It will be worthless in the kingdom. It will have looked awesome in front of men. I call them skyscrapers of sticks. And I tell you, I don't want, I, I, this, this puts a tremble in me. I do not want to show up at the judgment seat with this, this Eiffel Tower of popsicle sticks. And go, Listen, look at this, I did this for you, Jesus. And everybody goes, wow, how awesome. God goes, that's cute. He goes, let's just see how that works. Let's put a little fire on that. <laughs> Whoa. That Eiffel Tower is now a pile of ash. And there are, the scripture's clear, 1 Corinthians 2 and 3 lays it out. There will be many who are saved as by fire. They just, they just get in because the whole produce of their life has been flesh. This waiting issue is critical to having a produce of your life that's, that's more than just the works of the flesh, but it's the... It's the the activity of God, the God-made stuff that you could have never come to. You could never have produced it on your own. You wait, you listen, you obey, you hang in there through the delay. And what tends to happen is this, though the delay is long, boom, what will happen is when you wait a long time, all of a sudden he'll answer fast in a short period of time. I've watched the thing. It's these, these surges of heavenly activity that there's no way you can take credit for. And it's, it's Jesus who goes, he's the one who, who goes slowly up the hill and he floors it down the hill. And you're hanging on, you're going, what are you doing? Because I drive, this is how I drive. That's how I do it. Well, what, what, on the way up, I mean, it's like we we're never going to get there. And now that you're at the top, you're like flooring it and I'm hanging on for dear love because I got this. I'm a good driver. I go, Lord, what are you doing? But I've seen that happen in my life multiple times. I'm waiting. It looks like inactivity. It looks like nothing. What are you doing? I'm waiting. It's, it's a, it looks offensive. It's awkward. 
you know, you're waiting on the Lord. Why don't you do something? Well, I am doing something. What are you doing? Waiting. No, no, do something. And what they're doing is they're appealing to the activity of the flesh. What they want me to do is they want me to have a bunch of activity to validate my existence. But I'm not going to do that because I've found that if I work by the arm of the flesh, I produce stuff that's man-made and it has no value in the kingdom of God. If I'll wait, I've seen it happen multiple times. I wait, I pray, I fast, I seek Him, I wait. Sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes you don't have a good testimony. You don't have a story for the newsletter. You ain't got nothing to tell people. You're just sitting there. You're waiting. You look awkward. It's, it's just like embarrassing. And then bam! And boom, 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 boom. Things start falling in line so quickly. And you, don't, you, just, you don't know which one to do. And he's doing all of them and you're just hanging on. And it's just the, out, it's the outgrowth of God. It's, it's God's activity then. Slow up the hill, floors it down the hill. And then you go, you go into another season climbing slowly up the hill. And, you, and here's what happens. When he answers you like that in a, in a way where, man, so many things happen. You get to the next season. You're like, oh, what, 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 what happened? Where are you? And you don't realize it for a minute, but you end up, you slow back up the hill. I mean, he puts it in idle. Just one mile an hour. You don't even know you're climbing anymore. You're like, what? We were doing so many cool things, but nothing's happening again. He goes, simmer down. I've got this. This is how I do. Slow up, fast down. Okay, turn over with me to Psalm 130. Psalm 130 and Psalm 131 go together. I stumbled into these while I was studying the Psalms of Ascent and looking at Psalm 132 through 134. I just stumbled into 130, 131, and they really began to speak to me. And I thought, I thought, man, I think the Lord wants us to look at these and look at this issue of waiting. So Psalm 130 and Psalm 131 go together. I will say this. The Psalms of Ascent, all of those go together. Uh, Psalm, 122, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, they all go together. But you can see how different ones of them are paired together or coupled together. And, and, and really, when you read them together, they, they bring much more clarity. We're going to spend the rest of our time on Psalm 130 and Psalm 131. And I'm just going to work through these for you. So I, I gave a little bit of, a, of an outline, if you, just in case you're taking notes, you want to go back and study this. Um, I see Psalm 130 in three sections. And uh, do we have it? Yeah. So verse 1 to 2 is a prayer for deliverance. Verse 3 to 4 is his humility before God's greatness, which I think is an important component when we're waiting. Humility before God's greatness. And then verse 5 to 8, he expresses the connection between waiting and hope and how he postures his heart. In Psalm 131, then, we're going to find the process that waiting actually accomplishes in the human heart. Okay, let's just go ahead and let's just read uh, Psalm 130, verse 1 through 8. Verse 1, a song of ascent. Out of the depths I've cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. 
And in his word, I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. Verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy. And with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Okay. So verse 1 and 2. Let's just kind of look at this. Here we have a psalmist. I believe it's David. He's in um, a place of intense travail. And, and what we find, if you look at uh, Psalm 129 that maybe goes with it, he's under attack. He's got enemies and adversaries that are attacking him. And so, which would be normal for David. And so, we start 130, Psalm 130 verse 1 with, out of the depths. Out of the depths. I cry to you. Out of the depths. Now here's the thing. So many people don't ever get to the depths. See, the depths that he's talking about, yeah, it's the depths of a challenge and the depths of a trial, but it's actually more about the depths of your soul. Where you get before God and you bare your soul. One thing I love about David is his normal way with God was never shallow. His normal way with God was always Bearing his soul before God. Always unlocking his heart and going, God, here I am. Here's the real me. At certain times, he said, I cried aloud to the Lord. At other times, he's depressed. He goes, why so downcast, oh, my soul? At other times, he's frustrated. He goes, I poured out my complaint to God. And so you have David, who is, he's never reserved in his emotions toward the Lord. I think half of his effectiveness in prayer is based on this, that it was always with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. It was always that way. Always with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so what he's saying here is this. He goes, I've been under attack. I've been, I'm being pursued by my enemies. They are gaining ground on me. And it's bringing me to this place of challenge and trial. I'm in a place of need. And from the depths of my soul, I cried to God. That's like point one in prayer. You've got to get to that place where you're crying from the depths of your soul. Really. Where just the guttural reality of life Challenge, spiritual attack, desire, longing. It's all there. You're feeling it. And you go, I need you. I need you. With, without touching that spot, I think we live shallowly. I think that our, our prayers stay in a, a shallow and fairly ineffective place. But I think this idea of being in that, that, that depths with God. It's critically important. Now, you don't have to be, you know, wild and crazy and loud and, ah, you know, screaming all the time. This can simply just be that inner groan, Lord. I mean, just that place of, I'm serious. Serious, Lord, I need you. And you know, and I do too, when when you spend time in prayer, if you're touching the depths or if you're staying in the shallow end. You and I both know the difference. There's sometimes when we don't want to deal with God 
And we don't want to have God mess with us. We don't want to hear something. So we go through the motions and prayer. You spend an hour, but you don't ever get out of the one foot, you know, baby end. Come on. I, I've done that many times. I don't really want to deal with them, so I'm just going to kind of close my ears and kind of get in tongues. Shut up, machine gun it. Just, you know, let me get a Bible verse. You can't talk to me right now. And you just, you're not, you're not going into the, the real heart thing. You know what I'm talking about? The, the, this is like the, the 101.1. There's this place of, of depth in your soul that God calls you to. And David says, I've, cr- I've cried to you. It's the, that, that's the word, karah. I cried out as if to get your attention. And God's, God is, he has uh, his eye on us. His, his eye is on the righteous. His, his ears are attentive to our prayer. But David's, he, he uses this word karah over and over and over through the Psalms. And it's cry out as if to get one's attention. It's what it literally means. God! I mean, it's really that intense place of, of, of deep crying to the Lord. And it, not necessarily sobbing, but that crying out. I need you. I need you. He says, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my prayer, to the voice of my supplication. God, here I am. I need you. Out of the depths, he cried. That's critical as we enter into prayer and we're asking the Lord and we're in that place of waiting, that place of depth. So then, verse 3 and 4, it appears that he takes a side journey. And he actually throws out these interesting phrases. And, and really, it's not a side journey at all. It's, it's him. He's actually fortifying himself in humility before the greatness of God. And so in verse 3, he says, Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? And he says, but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I, and I want to just pull this out for just a minute. He goes, Lord, if you marked iniquities, no one could stand. In other words, if you took account of everybody's iniquities and didn't forgive. That's what he said. If you mark them and never forgave anyone, no one stands before you. And there's a moment when you consider that thought. Now think this through just for a minute. If God paid attention to all of our sins, which he does, but never forgave them. And kept a running list of every iniquity that we, com- that we committed. I mean, can you get the sensation of how horrifying your list would be? If somehow you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, my list wouldn't be that bad. You have no idea. Honestly, you're deceived. You need to repent. We need to give an altar call for you right now. Like, really. If, just, just for a moment, get the thought. If you marked all of my sins, you held them up before me, and then you did not forgive me, but judged me on each one of them. He goes, I, he goes I could, there's no one could stand. He goes, I couldn't stand. He goes, but, you know, then you, there's forgiveness with you. There's forgiveness with you. And every one of us that has received Jesus, that's received his blood, sacrifice for our sin, we experience forgiveness. We experience even more than that justification. I'm not going to go into the detail, but the innocence imparted, we experience that. 
But here's an interesting little twist that I just want to throw out there. Because there's forgiveness with you, what? That you may be feared. Now, I would just throw it this way. I would just mention this to you. When forgiveness, when God's forgiveness is taught in a way that causes people to be looser about their sin, then then instead of uh, have a, a little tremble about their sin, something's amiss. Because he said there's forgiveness that God would be feared, that he'd be revered, that he would be awed. That, that, that we would look at him and go, oh my goodness. And the point is this. Your list of sin that you could never stand. There's no, no payment for it. For it. You, that list of sin that's, that's just you know, haunting us. He goes, no, no, no. I'm not going to bring wrath on you by your, because of your sin. I am going to. I'm going to pay for it myself. You go, you're forgiving me? He goes, I'm forgiving you. And you go, oh my goodness, thank you. And there's real reverence. Because he's forgiving. Not this loose, you know, kind of approach to God. Now, well, he'll just forgive me. You know what I'm talking about? That whole loose, well, God will just forgive me. That means you have no clue. That's your mentality about sin. You don't have any clue about the cost, the, the sinfulness of your sin, what it, what, what it costs God to pay for your sin, what wrath is really like. If forgiveness causes you to be more loose about sin, you don't understand sin and you don't understand forgiveness. But if you understand forgiveness, it will cause you to tremble. And so that's what he's doing. He's humbling himself in the place of prayer. And that's a, that's a little fine line that I've seen uh, prayer people get into. They start wanting to make demands of God. And they start wanting to, you know, my time it with God. You know, you've got to be on my time and do it my way. And, in my, and, 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 and my, uh, do it in my way and the, the way that I'm desiring. And, and that's not David. He goes, no, no, no. Uh, I'm crying to you out of the depths. And I'm recognizing who you are. That I don't, I'm, not a, I'm just a man. I could never stand before you. You've forgiven me. And there's a tremble in my heart about this. That's how David's coming. Because there's a real tremble in me. There's forgiveness with you. And you're the only reason I can stand before you. And that's why there's a, a, a tremble residing in me. There's forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Then he goes on. And now he's going to explain it to us. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord. And in his word... I do hope. Now that's it. Those two things work together. When we're talking about waiting, we're talking about hoping. Okay? Always. When we're talking about waiting, we're always talking about hoping. You're never talking about waiting on the Lord in this hopelessness, in despair. If somebody's into waiting on the Lord, or they say, I'm just waiting on God, but I'm so hopeless... They've crossed the line. When you're waiting on the Lord, you're hoping in His Word. And what He's talking about is, yes, the written Word, but He's actually talking about the promise of God, the prophetic Word. He goes, I'm waiting on the Lord to fulfill His his prophetic Word to me. I'm waiting on the Lord, and I'm expecting, I'm eagerly waiting and expecting Him to fulfill His Word. That's the proper posture for waiting. That you wait and you are uh, in expectation that he's going to do what he said he would do. Period. Now we can wait on the written word and we can wait on the prophetic word. Uh, the, The challenge with the prophetic word is it's so subjective. 
And one of my, one of my pains as a, as a, as a leader and, and one that gives counsel is when people are waiting on the prophetic word that is much more an idol of their own heart than it is a thus saith the Lord. And that becomes a challenge because what they'll do is they'll sort of look for a prophetic word that matches their own desire and maybe it's even a fleshly desire and then they hold on to that one like it's the one and they got this thus saith the Lord and the Lord's going, I did? But they're living their life hoping in this off word. And it's a, it's, it's, it's a bummer because I've seen people shipwrecked because they get a prophetic word that's just about their, what their own fleshly desires are. And it has nothing to do with the beauty and the knowledge of God and the glory of Jesus. It's just about them becoming an all-star or a rock star or something. And, and that's – here's the deal. The, if you get a yea and thus saith, you're going to be the next Billy Graham to the nations. Just don't even – don't govern your life by that prophetic word. It's just not, it's not really even helpful, especially the new believer guy. You just got saved, now you're going to be the rock star of the gospel, evangelical, revival, whatever, whatever. Just, just put that one on hold. I don't know what that one was. And, and, and look for the word that says God loves you. <laughs> and look for the word that is, is asking you to be obedient in simple ways. Don't look for the global, you know, epic take over and you're the hero of the vision. That, I mean, I love the prophetic. I want more prophetic. But some of our prophetic stuff is so squirrely. It's all about how humans are going to be the, the next this or the next awesome that or you're going to be the greatest one of these. I don't think the Lord's really doing that because at the end of the age, Jesus will be the one star in the kingdom and all of us will be loving him. No one's going to get to the end and go, man, you were awesome. You really got us through the great trip, didn't you? You and your ministry, that singing gift you had, praise God for you. Man, you were awesome. No one's going to be doing that when this thing's all said and done. We're going to all be like, dear Lord, if it wasn't for grace, had it not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, they would have swallowed us up quick. All these prophetic... Uh, prophetic words and prophecies that people base their life on about how they're going to be so awesome. I would just, you know what? Put that one on the side. Don't even try to see that fulfilled. Let the, the Lord wants to do something dramatic through you that's going to touch nations. Great. But let him just bring that to pass. You go, well, you know, you got to have faith for the prophetic word. No, you don't. That whole teaching that when somebody gives you a prophecy and you got to put your faith in it and make it happen, that's a bunch of, that's not real. If the Lord's saying it, he'll do it. I've, I've watched, you go, that's not real. I go, no, no, it is real. I've watched real seasoned men of God with crazy prophecies. And I go, well, what are you doing to make that happen? I go, nothing. If it's God, he'll make it happen. I'm like, oh, right. I go, so what are you doing? Well, I'm being faithful day in and day out. And if the Lord wants to do that through my life, then that's up to him. It's not up to me anyway. I could never do that. I could never make that happen. That whole employing your faith in the prophecy, I wouldn't go there. Employ your faith in trying to show up on time. Be on time. You know, 
read the Bible, pray, fast regularly, seek Jesus, love Jesus, love other people, give lavishly. Do that, and if God wants to do something epic through you, that's up to him. Because here's the deal. If God's doing something epic through you, you'll, be, you'll mostly be like, the epic thing happens. You'll walk away going, that was nuts. I have no idea how that even happened. That was crazy awesome. Wow. You'll be as stunned as anybody else. If God does the epic thing through you and you're like, yeah, boy, I did it. Something is really wrong. So if people lock into these, these prophetic words that I think are sometimes not exactly what they need to base their life on and then they get shipwrecked over those things. My point becomes we can hope in the Lord, we can hope in his promises, we can hope in the scripture, and we can hope in the prophetic word. But if the prophetic word has you as the hero of the vision, go ahead and put that one on the shelf and, and don't really go after that. Let Jesus be the hero of the vision. So he goes, here's the deal. I'm hoping, <clears throat> I'm, I'm waiting and I'm hoping. My soul waits, and in his word I do hope. In verse 6, then he gives it to us. How? How are you doing this? My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Now, in the New King James, it goes on to say, yes, more than. But the original just has those who watch for the morning. So the repeated phrase is only those who watch for the morning. So it should read like this. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Those who watch for the morning. Why am I making that distinction? Because the psalmist is giving us a whole bunch of thoughts about what it means to wait on the Lord. He goes, I'm hoping and I'm waiting. Well, what did it feel like for you when you were waiting, psalmist? He goes, I'm waiting and I'm hoping more than the watchman who's been awake all night. And all he wants to see is that first glimmer of light. Because it's been a challenge for him to make it through the evening. It's been difficult. He goes, and I am waiting and it's more guttural for me, more challenging internally than it is for that watchman who's waiting for the dawn. The watchman who's, and he emphasizes, the watchman who's waiting for the dawn. (laughs) It's got a drama piece to it. That's why it's repeated. It's got this dramatic feeling of the challenge that the watchman has to go through. They've been up all night. They've been watching the city all night. They've been looking for intruders and oncoming messengers. It's, you know, it's been eight hours. It's dark. They're waiting for the first hint of morning so the watch can change. And there's that thing where, you know, it's like no, no matter how long, uh, I mean, or how quickly it's going to come, it just never comes. You know, it's like watch. It's like trying to watch the uh, the, the proverbial, you know, boiling water. Is that thing ever going to boil? Is that sun ever going to rise? That's what he's saying. He goes, "I'm waiting, and what the experience is like for me is more intense than it is the watchman for the dawn." Then he goes, "The watchman for the dawn." And that's the tension. When we're waiting, we're hoping, and then there's this tension of that pang. How long is this going to last? How long do I have to wait, Lord? Oh, if you just bring the answer now. It feels like it's more intense than the watchman who's been just waiting for the dawn. And it's, just, it's like, is it ever going to come? So he's giving us insight 
into the reality of what the waiting process does. It stirs up that internal tension, that challenge, and that difficulty. As I'm saying this, you recognize this because there's many of you that are waiting for things that you, you believe the Lord has promised, things you've seen in the Word. You're waiting and you're, 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 you're in hope, you're in expectation, you're believing, but there's that tension on the inside where one minute you're like, it's going to happen, and the next minute you're like, oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know if I can wait any longer. And then you go, oh, yes, I hope in God. But ah, the pain of it. That's real. The guy has been waiting any amount of time. He'll touch that more than the watchman for the dawn feeling. You should touch that. It's normal to touch that. It's normal to get to that place where you go, I don't know if the sun's ever going to rise. It's normal to get there. Don't stay there, but touch it. Does that make sense? That's real in the waiting. Don't get the idea that in the waiting, you're just like, I'm expecting. I'm expecting. It's awesome. 25 years and it's been awesome. It's not like that. It's 25 long years. I still believe. Through many trials and challenges and snares, I still believe. I still expect him to do what he said. There's been ups and downs, but I believe. And so then, I think it's David. As David does, he turns and then he encourages everybody else. He goes, that's right, Israel. That's right. Hope in the Lord. <laughs> he starts turning and teaching. He always does it in his songs. He'll turn and teach. Hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, there is mercy. There is abundant redemption. He goes, yeah, he's merciful. Yeah, he's a redeemer. You can trust him. You can wait on him. He'll bring it to pass. He will do what he said. There is mercy with him. It's good to trust him. It's good to hope in the Lord. Because he's merciful. And he's an abundant redeemer. See, when we stake, when we put our faith in the Lord, when we stake our our what we're believing for in God, I'm telling you, you've put your faith in someone who's so trustworthy, who's so merciful, who redeems so plentifully, it, you can have real expectation. This is going to happen. This is God. It's, the problem comes when we start redefining who we think he is. Well, he's just stringing me out. He's not really wanting to answer. He's trying to sort of, you know, just string me along. And people start accusing God in the delay. And, and th- that, that's when we get from hopeful waiting to hope deferred waiting. That makes the heart go sick. The key is this. Hope deferred, the, the verse that talks about hope deferred, I'm, I'm just going to skip ahead and just give that to us just for a moment. It's Proverbs 13, 12. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but the desire fulfilled is a tree of life. That idea of hope deferred means hope put off. It doesn't mean just hope delayed. It means hope thrown away. That's what it means. Hope thrown away makes the heart sick. In other words, you are hoping, 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 and you get to that place, you go, it's never going to happen. Because that will make your heart sick. But when the desire is fulfilled, it's a tree of life. Oh, man, have you ever been in that place where you've been praying, believing, waiting, waiting, waiting? Is it ever going to happen? Boom, the sun rises. He answers, oh, it's a tree of life. 
You ever have that testimony of the long prayer that's been answered? Don't short circuit the explanation of it for people to make it sound more exciting. What I mean is this. If you ever get to give the testimony of something you prayed for that had an answer that was long in delay, make sure you go in detail about the delay. Because you don't do any of us a favor. Because we love the testimony. Man, I prayed and boom, right there. God did it right there. But what we really need are the testimonies of, yeah, I prayed 20 years. There's a few years in there, man. I was teeter-tottering. Didn't know if God was going to answer. Oh, it was hurting my heart so bad. And I just had to just stir myself up and believe in the nature of God. He's merciful. He's abundant in redemption. I had to say yes to who he was and just get myself back in the game. And man, 20 years later, his grace carried me through. And man, he brought the answer. Give us that testimony. It would be way more helpful for us. Okay. Psalm 131 now. I'm ending But let me give you this principle. It's important. So Psalm 130 and Psalm 131, they give us the proper posture for waiting and what it looks like and hoping we get the more than the watchman for the morning idea, but we got also the connection to the knowledge and the nature of God that he's abundant in mercy, abundant in redemption. So Psalm 131, here's David again, and he says, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty, neither do I concern myself with great matters nor with things too profound for me. Again, humbling himself before the Lord in the place of prayer. This is a critical posture. He goes, Lord, you know everything. I don't know anything. I don't have the proper perspective on these things. I just, I'm not even trying to concern myself with all these things. One of the big problems intercessors get into, is because, and a lot of times because they have a little prophetic touch on their life, is they think they know everything. You don't. You don't have anywhere near the perspective that God does. You don't know all the details. You don't see the way he sees. Always, just bring yourself back to you're just, you're just dust. Just bring yourself back to that. I'm just dust, just a little guy. He's awesome. I'm not. He knows everything. I don't even know where my keys are. But just bring yourself back to there. And then allow the Lord to broaden your, your understanding and give you a better perspective. Because so often we can get to this place where I've been praying, I've been praying, and he's just not answering. He just, you don't know. You don't know why the delay's on. The delay's on for, for many reasons. So David's doing it. He goes, I don't even try to concern myself with those things, God. You're so much grander, grander and greater than I am. I, I, my heart's not haughty. I used to think David was bragging in his, his lack of arrogance, but he's not. He's going, no, I'm humbling myself. I don't have anything. I just, you have it, I don't. But look at then what he says. Verse 2, surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. And he goes back and he's going to encourage Israel. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth forevermore. So he goes, like a weaned child. He goes, I quieted my soul like a weaned child. When I was meditating on this, I thought, you know, like a weaned child, huh? So it's peace. He goes, I got myself to a place of peace. I got myself to a place of peace in the waiting, which I think he's actually emphasizing. He goes, yeah, there's a place of peace in the waiting, like a weaned child. You know, a weaned child with his mother is a child that's not, you know, it's, 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 it's uh, not screaming anymore to, to be fed. It's saying, okay, I'm, I'm comforted. I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm okay. I, I'm, 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 uh, I'm in trust. I, I, I believe you've got me. So I think it is about peace, but... I also think it's about 
maturity. And this is where I want to land and we'll be done. See, a weaned child is different than a child that's still being breastfed. Now, just, let's just deal with the metaphor here, here. I know we're 21st century and all sex is bad, but this isn't sex. This is normal. Okay. So I had to say that so, so people don't blush. So the, the child is still being fed by its mother. And then any mom knows, and we did this with all four of ours, when you go through that week or two where you're going to wean them, it's like Armageddon. That kid thinks you have just abandoned them. And you're trying to go to the bottle, and that kid is like, you know, rejecting it. And they start screaming, and they start hollering, and they start acting like everything is about to end. Now, is the mother saying to the child, I'm never going to feed you again? No, the mother's just saying, I'm not going to feed you this way anymore, right? And the child goes through this crazy separation anxiety, freaking out until finally they get broken of it. And they're, they're willing to take the bottle or the other means of food, whatever. See, David is giving us insight. He's giving us insight into the process that God takes us through. See, there's these seasons in our life where God holds us close. And He feeds us in a way just like a mother nursing a baby. And everything comes so easy. And it's just so comforting. And some of you have experienced those seasons where you've just, you know, maybe right after you got saved, you had this season of just dramatic spiritual encounter and God was always encountering you in dreams or always speaking prophetically to you or the word was just so alive and it was just so easy. You didn't have to give, you didn't know, you didn't have to do any effort. God was on the spot. He was feeding you. He was taking care of you and comforting you continuously. And then you go through this next little season and all of a sudden there's this like separation going on there and you're going, he's not feeding me like he was. He's not meeting me the same way. He, he's not, he's not touching me like he was. He's, he's not encountering me in the dreams and you start going, what happened? What happened? Where are you? And you start imagining that you've missed God or that God's left you. And I've watched this. So many believers check out in those seasons where God is distancing himself just a little bit. He's not leaving you. He's not sending you into a dark night. He's just distancing you a little bit because he's trying to get you off the breast and get you to solid food. He's trying to move you from milk to meat. And what happens is people go, ah, ah, he's not touching me the same way. And they freak out. And they imagine God's left them. And there's a ton of Christians, they check out right there. In the weaning process where God is trying to grow us up, they check out. They get offended with God. They backslide. They turn away from God or they flatline. And they determine that unless God meets them the same way that he did in those days of sweet grace, that they're not going to receive from the Lord. And what the Lord's doing is going, no, I need you to be weaned because I need you to grow because you can't grow and, and be the person I'm calling you to be on just milk. I've got to get you to solid food. You have to grow up. And so what is this process of waiting about? It's about God growing you up like a weaned child. See, because a weaned child... 
is more mature than a child that's still on the breast. Are you tracking me? I think this process through and I look at the times in my life where the Lord, He was just so near and just leading me in so many, just so evident ways. And then when that season ended, there would be this offense in my heart. Where are you? Where are you? What are you doing? He goes, settle down. I'm still going to feed you, take care of you, comfort you. It's just not going to be in the same way that it's been. And it's okay. And beloved, ultimately, that's what waiting is about. Waiting and delay is about the Lord growing you up. It's about the Lord refining you and maturing you. He wants to take you to a, to a deeper place of love and maturity. He wants to grow you up. And so he delays the answer. And it's, it's in those places of delay that if we'll allow ourselves to not get offended, but we'll continue to remind ourselves who he is and continue to hope in his mercy and believe in the God who redeems abundantly in the goodness of our God who answers with awesome deeds. If we'll hang in there through the waiting, eventually he will answer with power. And that waiting process, it actually was effectual for you. It actually grew you up. And so you started it needing milk, but you ended it on solid food. And that's why he says, like a weaned child. Because out of the depths I cried, out of the depths I cried. I wait and I hope. Then he ends it with, and like a weaned child, I quieted my soul. Because it's that place of maturity that waiting on the Lord takes you through that you can't get to that place any other way. You can't get there any other way. It's the fashioning and the formation of your soul. This morning, I'm looking at my Twitter. Bob Sorge, he's a good friend and an awesome author. He's, he's put this on Twitter. I thought, man, Bob, thank you. You're just giving me the punchline to my message. And this is what it said this morning. There is no hotter flame than waiting on God. That's why God calls you to wait. He's refining you. Beloved, if there's a delay, it's because he's helping you to mature. Come on. He's helping you to mature. Remind yourself of who he is in the waiting so you can have expectant hope through it all. Amen? I love what Bob says. There's no hotter flame and waiting on the Lord. Well, Bob would know. He's dealing with a vocal issue for now 20 years. He's, he had a vocal injury, uh, an injury to his vocal cords, went to get it corrected, and the procedure that he had made it worse. And for over 20 years now, he's waiting on God for his healing. He believes he's healed. I, I interviewed him. I go, explain this to me. Because you believe God's a healer? He goes, absolutely. I go, uh, do you, so tell me what you believe. He goes, by his stripes I am healed. I go, well, what's going on? He goes, he's delaying the answer. I go, what do you mean? He goes, he's growing me up. I'm like, you were a pastor, a worship leader, all this stuff? He goes, I'm more immature than I thought I was. 
There is no hotter fire than waiting. Oh, beloved, if we will learn how to wait in hope, it will be the making of us. And I'm to that place where I just, personally, I just, I've been praying 20 plus years for revival. That's one of the key desires of my heart. And I've just decided I'm not going to be neutral about revival. I'm going to be pursuing, eagerly hoping and waiting. But I'll tell you, there's those those times where, man, you just get to the bottom and you go, oh, is this going to ever happen? And then I have to hope in God, hope in mercy, hope in what he said. But I'm going to stay in the waiting until he answers with awesome deeds. Amen.